All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello and welcome to this week's Chops. The sun is shining. Well, it is when I am recording this, so I hope it is when you are listening to it too. This week, I'm chatting to journalist and all-round good woman Lizzie Denning about her project Survivor Stories, a website which gathers together personal testimonies about sexual violence, which is important for reasons I'm just going to let her get on and explain to you. But Before I do that, just a wee reminder that you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It's genuinely very helpful for us, particularly if you give us five stars, although I will leave that decision up to you. Have a nice Sunday. Until next time. Hi, I am joined on the phone by journalist Lizzie Denning. Thank you for joining us, Lizzie. Thank you for having me. Now, you are the person behind Survivor Stories, the website, which is what I wanted to talk to you about. So perhaps we can start by you telling us a little bit about what Survivor Stories is and why and how you got it started. A few years ago, I got involved with my local rape crisis centre, which is Peterborough Rape Crisis Care Group. And I started volunteering for them and I joined the board. And my sort of interest in that area, obviously, as a journalist, kind of translated into me wanting to write more about topics of sexual violence and in pitching articles or or even getting things placed I became aware of like quite, quite a few frustrations it's not always the fault of editors or publications but there are certain restrictions 
things like limited word count can make and this is particularly in reference to case studies having a limited word count on somebody's story quite often means that what a publication is asking is for quite a linear depiction of trauma and unfortunately you know as much as we'd love for it to be the case trauma isn't really like that trauma you know you can tick along for years and then suddenly the rug gets pulled out from under you and you're re-triggered or you know it's kind of one step forward two steps back and I think it it can be quite damaging to suggest that trauma looks a certain way and looks like a kind of movie plot because obviously for people reading that where that isn't their experience they can internalize some of that blame or think there's something wrong with them other limitations with case studies are things like there tends to be a preference for them to be named tends to be a preference for them to be photographed there also tends to be a problem with only using one case study and again that makes sexual violence look a certain way it makes it look like it happens to a certain type of person or under a certain set of circumstances for example I think probably if you took like a random sample of the media I think there's probably a disproportionate reporting on stranger sexual violence you know in clubs or in alleyways whatever I think that is the kind of stereotype that people have in their mind and and while that is of course an experience that unfortunately happens to lots of people it's within the spectrum of sexual violence that's quite rare and the kind of average case doesn't really look like that so I was having the experience where I'd find a case study and I would you know they'd very kindly share a very traumatic moment with me I would write it up and there would be some sort of problem you know their story wouldn't be quote unquote right for the publication you know there'd be something about it and then I would have to try and convey that to someone who's already done quite a traumatic thing for me and and obviously I wouldn't say to them it's not right but I would I'd have to phrase it in such a way but even then they're taking back from that that something about their story is off And I think for lots of survivors, they don't share their stories very often because they have this terrible fear about not being believed. And that, to me, felt like I was kind of enhancing that belief. So I found that really stressful and upsetting. So I was kind of working out a way in which I could help these people share their stories because there there was an appetite for many of them. You know, I never asked an individual to do it I just put something out on Twitter I think it was and like a bunch of people came forward so there is an appetite to to share their stories but I wanted to do it and typical control freak that I am I wanted to do it my way and my way is survivor led it's very much yeah led by them how do they want to do it you know originally I was meeting up with people if they wanted to obviously that's not an option at the moment if they want to do it over the phone if they want to email it to me the whole interview process is also led by them so if they don't want to talk about the actual events there's no pressure whatsoever I don't I think in a way that's the least interesting part of their story I think what's much more interesting is their resilience and tools that they've found that have helped them their perspective on on the news and what's going on Mm. and and how that relates to their experience So that was the main reason. The other reason is also, as I kind of alluded to about the one case study per story problem, is that I wanted to create a collection of stories that feature different people. Because I think a lot of the problem with victim blaming, which is a huge issue, which is 
just so frustrating in 2021 but however here we are a lot of the problem is that it kind of gets pinned to a, a specific type of story or a specific type of person and I think you can kind of start to make the case you can kind of say okay sure maybe so and so was doing this but how do you account for these people you know how mm. do you account you know if you're saying it's what women wear how do you account for the men or how do you account for people who are abused as children so it was also I wanted to create a sort of a weight of evidence I think I think there's something really powerful in collective stories and the idea that everybody's story is so different but together there's there's some key themes that you mm. can unpick so yeah that was <laughs> it's quite a yeah. long explanation no it, it's, it's it's good it's thorough I can tell you're a yeah, journalist sorry <laughs> Uh, it's interesting you say that because what I wanted to talk to you was sort of about the power of personal testimony because mm. it's twofold, isn't it? It's uh, on the one hand, like you say, putting stories out there and putting a variety of stories out there where people will be able to see where things are different, but also where certain patterns emerge. Mm. I think that's really important. And I think it helps people identify, not just in, in this scenario, but if you look at something like the Exile Project that ran during the repeal the eighth campaign in Ireland in which women just said this is what happened to me when I had to go to England for an abortion it made it real in a way that I don't think people realize the a in volume and b in sort of specific circumstances so I think it's really good for the national conversation yeah but also it's good for the person in many ways who's getting this off their chest out there into the world isn't it Absolutely. I think one of the things that lots of them have said to me is I wanted to share this because I had this specific trigger or this specific relationship with my perpetrator. And I looked online and I couldn't find any other stories like that. And I felt really alone. A lot of them self-blame because of that. If you feel like you're the only one, then then kind of unfortunately a natural reaction can be heightened sense of shame. So a lot of them, it's it's that they want a record of of their experience online, so that if anybody else says, "Oh, I've got this this mm. trigger, and I think I'm alone," then then they won't be alone. So I think that's a, a a big motivator for doing it. And also, I think for some of them, they've never shared their story, mm. or they've shared it but under circumstances that very much weren't led by them you know they've they've told the police yeah. and the police have an agenda obviously they have specific questions mm. they need to ask and i'm not saying that that's wrong or whatever but it can also be quite traumatizing and i think for them to reclaim their story and to have made the choice to have done mm. it i think that can be quite a powerful tool for for making them feel you know back in charge of their lives and and sometimes it's to draw a line under it as well quite often people come to me around like a significant event an anniversary of of their abuse or sometimes they're getting married or something mm. and they just want to kind of draw some sort of line under it to to kind of start a new chapter I was talking to Mickey about this interview yesterday and we were talking about how the project with the school sexual abuse that's yeah. online, everyone's invited, which has had a huge, like a huge response already. The sort of generational difference is mm. so stark. And I used by form of comparison, it's not the same. It's not about sexual abuse, although it is about abuse. Philomena Lee, who famously 
was in the book The Lost Child of Philomena Lee and the film Philomena is about her and she was put into one of the laundries in Ireland and had a baby and it was taken away from her and then she came over here and she had a family and she waited 50 years before she told members of her family that that's what had happened to her mm-hmm. and that's three generations ago and j- jump forward to now and women are already aware that this thing exists that they can get this story out of them if they want to in many different ways. And that's that's got to be cumulatively great for women's mental health, I would say. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I think it is, it is kind of, you know, exciting is not the right word because obviously it's bloody dreadful. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's, it's amazing that we've reached that point. And I think in lots of ways, that's no accident. Some of the women, because I, I went on Women's Hour and I did get quite a few people coming to me who were a bit older, and which was fantastic but you know some some of them the events that had happened to them had happened in a point where it wasn't illegal for your your spouse to force you to have sex we're still in such infancy to to sexual violence really being criminalized on all fronts like Mm. there's still you know there's still problems around revenge porn and um and kind of you know upskirting was only banned what a couple of years ago until the laws are there backing you up, I can see why people didn't come forward because if it's not illegal, then the problem must be you. And that is also very much like mm. a line that perpetrators take that, no, it's you. So yeah, it, it's really exciting that people are finding their voices. And I hope that it means people can seek help quicker because I think there's a sort of natural lag anyway in asking for help. I think about 90% of referrals to Rape Crisis England and Wales are for non-recent events and some of that will always be the case because the nature of trauma Mm. is that you don't immediately necessarily think what happened to me was wrong sometimes it can take a while to kind of percolate but it would be nice to feel that people were able to seek help earlier Mm. because the national conversation is is much more yeah I think as well this is probably a terrible comparison to use but there's kind of a knee-jerk reaction quite often with trauma that's almost like when you fall over in the street and people come over and say do you need help and you go no I'm fine even though there is blood coming out of your leg you're like no I'm fine I'm fine and if you just tell yourself enough that you are fine you will be fine and and then go home and when you're by yourself then you're not fine (laughs) I, I think it is part of the the body and brain's response to trauma is is that it I mean I'm not a psychologist and people have done some really excellent research into this and I'm definitely not one of them but there are elements of your sort of reptile brain that just want want the narrative to be everything is is fine everything's mm. okay and uh, yeah it can take a while for things to it's quite rare for people to seek help immediately and quite often when people do it's because someone else is with them and has said hang on yeah <laughs> that's rape that's not okay and also the nature of rape is it it can be it can feel confusing to people because sometimes it's you know it's someone you've previously slept with or it's someone you're in a relationship with or it's someone you trusted i think it doesn't always feel immediately that something's been done but it, it's just a sort of sense of unease mm. that that later you go oh actually i didn't i didn't consent to that Now we are starting to come out of lockdown. You made it very clear at the top. Obviously, there are different, I would say, maybe let's just say categories for the sake of argument. If we're talking about sexual abuse rather than perhaps rape, there is 
stranger, like you say, that small category that someone assaults you on a packed tube. Then you've got people that fall into a category that I would say sort of acquaintances. So perhaps people you go, you're out on a date with or someone you work with. Yeah. And then there is someone that you are have an intimate sort of relationship. You live in the same house as basically, so a partner, a relative. Now, obviously, that category is the biggest. And that category is the category that's basically lived in darkness for the last year. And if domestic abuse is up and people having too much and killing their wife is up, yeah. that has to be up as well. Do we, do we have evidence that it is? So this is the drum I've been banging for the whole year, really, is that, like, I think it's amazing that there's been so much discourse around domestic violence. I think absolutely that's that's really crucial that we're talking about that. But I feel personally that sexual violence has been kind of overlooked. Mm. And obviously there's a sort of Venn diagram where, unfortunately, you know, there's a crossover between the two. But also, yeah, absolutely. I think it's 90% of people know the perpetrator beforehand so you know stranger rape is is quite a small category and I think absolutely I think there's different schools of thought but one school of thought is that sexual violence is about power and I think when people feel disenfranchised in other areas of their life if they're inclined to violence you know Covid will have will have exacerbated mm. those tendencies Evidence-wise, it's quite complex because, as I sort of alluded to before, people don't necessarily seek help in the moment. That's where domestic violence and sexual violence differ a bit, is in, in terms of the nature of the support given. People tend to seek help for sort of non-recent events. I think, as well, that's been made worse by being in the home if you're living with your abuser, you're probably unlikely to pick up the phone to a helpline. You might not go on the website. If you were already receiving support, I think a lot of a lot of survivors chose to kind of pause their support mm. during lockdown because of issues of space. You know, if your kids are around, yeah. you don't necessarily want to be having counselling for sexual violence at the same time as trying to homeschool them. Also things like, People don't necessarily want to invite that trauma into their home. Yeah, yeah. Quite like having a third space they go mm. to, an outside space they go to, to to kind of bring that trauma into. Especially for those who experienced sexual violence within their home in the first place, it's already mm. the site of trauma without necessarily receiving help for that trauma within it. What I will say is that my centre, um, Peterborough Rape Crisis Care Group, had like quite a big bump in referrals. It went up. 53% after the end of the first lockdown wow. year on year. So when lockdown eased, people, many people felt able to kind of reach out. And I think nationally, nationally there's been, they, they say, a significant increase in web traffic in recent months. So I think what many centres are concerned about is that because of the, the pausing of help, because of the in, potential increase in incidents, because of people maybe not reaching out when they might have done under normal circumstances. And also because of the, the trauma of lockdown mm. in general, you know, we're all a bit traumatised, even if our lives are pretty nice. And also many people who are waiting for court dates, those have been pushed back almost indefinitely or, or for, for two years, maybe. So that leaves them unable to kind of draw a line under it yeah. for a lot longer so they need continued help where they might have 
not needed help post court. So I think the concern nationally is that there will be a huge spike at some point. And while funding during COVID has been very good, actually, and, and very supportive, there's a concern about longevity and, yeah. you know, how are we going to, to, to pick things up? Schools being shut as well has probably had an impact because I imagine that's a big place for young people to disclose. And if they haven't had yeah. that access, that's another impact of COVID potentially is that things aren't getting picked up as early as they could be. When we talk to Nicoa, this is it. There's no time to get out of that or for such a long time for kids. There's no, I mean, it doesn't make it any easier for you that you have to go back into that house. But any time that, that your head is thinking of something else, be it football or whatever it is, when you're a kid doing is good for you to be focused on something else. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I think people people in general, their coping mechanisms have gone. You know, if you're someone... And their who, support networks have gone. Yeah, exactly. Both of those things. I think if you're someone who, you know, I don't know, you go for a swim and that's the thing that you do when you're feeling overwhelmed and that's kind of yeah. removed from you, then, then that will, you know, could potentially set you back, even if you were really kind of quite far through healing yeah I think people's needs are going to be much more complex in, in ways we can only kind of guess at now really because we're still living it it's, yeah. it's so hard to know how we're all gonna feel talking about what I would say less serious um hmm. sexual assaults that's not to say that all sexual assaults aren't serious but in by nature some are less serious than others now we're going back into the world. Now women are going to be back on Tinder or wherever it is they do their dating where yeah. now women might be back in the office around some people that they've actually been quite pleased to be away from for yeah. the last year. Do you do you get a sense that people are, especially when what has happened recently, uh, the Sarah Everard case, that women maybe are fixating a little bit on on how life's been perhaps a little bit easier for those women in the last year and that they're going to have to go back out into that place where someone upskirts you on the tube or your boss just is seedy as fuck around you all the time it's difficult isn't it I mean actually so I kind of assume that too and I was speaking to my friend who runs an organization called Icena and, and they deal with sort of sexual violence training and equalities training and one of the things they offer is Um, workplace sexual harassment training and she said that actually their web traffic on those pages had shot up in lockdown and actually although it sounds weird because my I guess because I'm self-employed so I don't look I don't have to think about any of this (laughs) crap anymore I had kind of naively assumed that yes if you're in an office with someone who's a bit predatory how nice to be working from home but I think actually the opposite is sometimes true I think it's something about this kind of weird removal of divisions between your internet self and your professional self and I think probably exacerbated by everybody's you know stress levels and, and fears about redundancies and things it's not necessarily being reported but I think lots of women are experiencing inappropriate behavior on zoom inappropriate emails even things that might just just feel off and you're like I wouldn't necessarily go to HR but you know this guy has gone onto my social media and liked all of my pictures Mm. back like 2016 or something and like I don't I I feel like that's not okay but I can't quite make a complaint out of it because yeah it would just be waved away so I was quite shocked by that, I have to say, because I'd, I'd sort of made that assumption that, you know, aside from all the other reasons why being at home is dreadful, 
you know are we a bit safer from from workplace sexual yeah. harassment but I don't think that's the case and I think that's quite um it's oh, definitely so not. depressing <laughs> I know and I definitely think it's something companies really ought to be thinking about if this is their future because lots of companies are kind of toying with more flexible working and more virtual stuff and I I think in many ways that's great but I'm not sure this is something that's being cut I mean I've not seen much coverage of of that and I think it you know they're going to need to have new policies around it it's it's just such uncharted territory Mm. but um predatory people find ways is to be predatory unfortunately it's it nothing seems to hold them back does it and I suppose the danger in in lockdown was that everybody knew where you were all the time and that in itself is kind of can make you feel a little unsafe I know that sounds a bit strange but you know particularly when perhaps if people are at home with kids or whatever like what the division of what work time and personal time was became entirely blurred that someone sending you a WhatsApp message at midnight, I might consider weird, but they might be able to come up with some reason why they thought you were working and they knew you'd answer it. And yeah, that is something that needs to be be dealt with. It is a kind of time thing, I guess, if you're on Zoom with someone all day, it blurs the line a bit. You know, you could be on Zoom with them in the evening, couldn't you? And that would be fine. Lizzie, what can people do to help you? Firstly, I'm suggesting they can give some money to Rape Crisis. Yes, absolutely. It's difficult, isn't it? Because it is one of these tip of the iceberg things. It's like we rule out misogyny and create some sort of equality. This is always going to be a problem. But I think I think the main thing is just to be aware of it, even if it's something that, you know, has never affected you. I think it's just to be aware that like the majority of people are, are living with it. You know, the, the stats are kind of one in five adult women and one in 10 adult men have experienced some kind of sexual violence, but that doesn't even count kind of childhood sexual violence. Mm. And, and also I'd say that's probably a conservative estimate to be honest, because it's based on people sharing information and lots of survivors never do. I think it's just, yeah, being aware that it's, it's an issue checking yourself on victim blaming even knee-jerk victim blaming which I think we all do you know there's a tiny bit of our head that always goes why did she do that Mm. and then you have to you have to consciously shut that down because it's just on you know obviously it's asking it's asking the wrong questions I think we spend so much time asking the wrong questions and within the media as well the wrong questions get get asked you know they're still doing surveys about you know do you think do you think women deserve it if they wear a skirt? And I'm just like, what? Yeah. why are you asking these? There's so many better questions we could be asking. This is such a waste of time. Before lockdown, I kicked off a bit on Twitter because I had been coming back to Cambridge North train station, which is in the middle of nowhere. Hardly anybody ever uses it. It's really dark. It's, it's really isolated. It is not a place that you would want to be on your own at midnight or that you would feel 100% confident. And as I was walking back to my car, um, a guy approached me, uh, pulled up in a car next to me and started asking me questions about where something was. Now, there's nothing there. So the answer, mate, was, I don't know, it's not here. Right. And he he carried on about it and he tried to engage me in the conversation and I went off on Twitter about it. I appreciate that he probably wasn't there 
like to hurt me or scare me. But I'd just like it if men were more aware that it is scary when you approach them at midnight in a dark car park and they're by themselves. It is scary. And one of the first responses I got was, well, what were you doing in the car park by yourself? And I literally replied with, you're not asking the right questions. You're not (laughs) asking the right questions. That isn't the point. Why was I? I was there because I had to be there. Why was he there? You know, why is anyone anywhere? (laughs) It's ridiculous. Yeah, Yeah. that that annoys me so much. And I think as well, you know, once people know that you are someone who feels like that, how can they possibly tell you what's going on with them? Yeah. How can you possibly, even though they would, they probably wouldn't feel that, you know, if it's your, your parent or your friend, I'm sure they'd be very nice to you and wouldn't respond that way. Mm. But it doesn't exactly lay the grounds for like an open discussion and you reaching out for help, does it? It's, it's, it's compounding these ideas in people's well, heads. Well, if your nan is repeating, but what was she doing out at that hour? It's so unhelpful and it's it's kind of supporting rapists to behave in that way. It's kind of giving people leverage. It's, you know, letting people like Imran Khan say, of course, if you wear a skirt, you you want to be raped. Why else would you wear a skirt? What possible motive could anyone have for wearing a skirt in, in, you know, in Asia where it's like incredibly hot? (laughs) Yeah. Mickey was tweeting something the other day. I'm pretty sure it came from Women's Hour. In fact, it was to do with this whole sexual abuse in school thing. And it was like, you know, is it fair to lumber boys with a criminal record at a young age? What's the alternative, really? Letting them think that there are no consequences to their actions. I can't imagine that that's going to end well either. Well, the alternative is to wait for them to commit a more serious crime as an adult. Yeah, because you could use exactly the same argument and say, why would you stop a small boy hurting an animal? Well, because we know what happens to kids who, who... who hurt animals so you know it's exactly not to compare women to animals but maybe that's you have to go to animals because that's something that people actually give a shit about to try and make a point why 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 give children detention yeah you know they're children it's like because they need to to learn that's what being a child is for it's about learning learning what is an appropriate boundary and what isn't and just massive sigh (laughs) um lizzie where can people find survivor stories and are you looking for more survivor stories so currently I'm at full capacity. Um, I've got kind of a waiting list that people can sign up to or I'm open to people emailing their stories because obviously that's a lot quicker. Um, mm. But there are, you know, lots of stories on there if people, you know, massive trigger warnings for all of them, but they are all clearly flagged. So it's survivorstories.co.uk. And yes, I would also obviously recommend people visiting Rape Crisis England and Wales because I think they do a fantastic job. They really do. Give them your money, people. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you ever so much for your time. This has been fascinating. Thank you. Standard issue for all women.